Hello, I'm Anthony Day, and this is the Wednesday interview from the Sustainable Futures Report for Wednesday, the 27th of April. If things go wrong and we fail to overcome the climate crisis, there will be profound consequences for society and humanity. The Deep Adaptation Forum exists to help people prepare for this worst-case scenario. And you may find some of this interview disturbing or depressing. My guest is Fernando García Ferrero, and he has offered to talk personally to anyone who's upset or concerned by the ideas we discuss. His contact details are at the end of this text, together with links and references. And you'll find this, of course, on the Sustainable Futures Report website. This conversation was recorded in the week before Easter. Well, Nando, good morning. I think we all agree that there's a climate crisis. In fact, the whole thing's been emphasised by yet another report which came out this week from the IPCC. Mm-hmm. I think we all agree that there's got to be adaptation. We're going to have to change to deal with the climate crisis. Mm-hmm. But adaptation means a lot of very different things to a lot of very different people. Mm-hmm. The IPCC has gone into a lot of detail in this latest Working Group 3 report. Mm-hmm. But deep adaptation, the deep adaptation forum is something else. And maybe you can tell me more about what your belief is and how you feel that society should or can adapt to what we're facing. Mm. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Thank you for the question. Big one. And yeah, let me start by saying that um, it's more than a climate crisis. It's a planet crisis. You know, uh, we tend to focus only on what happens in the atmosphere, which is creating the uh, global warming and, and these extreme weather events. But if you look to other areas like the biosphere, what is happening with life on this planet over the last 50 years, it's a massive killing. You know, uh, you, you might have heard of this, uh, of this uh, report by the uh, Academy of Natural Sciences in the US about the biomass. Maybe you heard about that. There was an article in The Guardian. When they look at the biomass, and this is only an example of the mammals on the planet, there are three figures that came up on that uh, report, which is three years old. 36% of all the mammals is already humans. 60% is livestock. 4% is wild mammals. So all whales, elephants, tigers, you name it, is only just 4%. In another chapter on the, on the birds, 70% of all birds are chicken and turkey, you know. And, you know, all the ostriches and all the <laughs> hawks and eagles, just... Uh, so, I mean, and insects is also massive, you know. When you look at uh, other areas like, uh, you know, resources, uh, already 50 years ago now, 50 years ago, the Limits to Growth report, which is controversial, or was controversial at the time, I mean, came with something which anybody <laughs> should, should know that some resources are not renewable. You know, a number of resources are renewable, others, have, there is a limited quantity of them, you know. And in particular, those who are fueling this society, which is fossil fuels, oil, coal, gas, you know. 
And again, this is controversial or was controversial, the, the whole idea of the peak oil. So that there is a point where the production starts falling. No, it's not that there is a depletion. You know, many people misunderstand the concept of peak oil. I mean, there is a lot of oil. The problem is, is that the easy oil, the good easy oil is gone. And this is the, the uh, International uh, uh, Agency for Energy, which is saying, I mean, it's not Greenpeace. I mean, it's, it's a big thing, you know. So the easy oil is gone. So now we have to go to Alberta and, 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 and go for tar sands, which is a very, very heavy and, 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 and difficult oil to extract, you know, or fracking or things like that. So oil, which is the engine, you know, which is the blood of the system, is rapidly going down. Yeah, is that a bad thing? Because oil leads to emissions which lead to global warming. Absolutely. Absolutely. But are we capable of running our society without oil and with a growing demand for demand for oil? So that's 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 part of, of the things that we we explore or we we don't explore them. I mean, people working in, in or, or, or involved in deep adaptation, we don't discuss these things. I mean, we discuss the consequences. We discuss how to be with this. You know, frankly, in our forum, we take for granted that most people are informed about these things, and we don't spend too much time. But I mean, what I sorry, sorry, because I went a bit long into into clarifying that it's not only the climate, and the climate is bad enough. It's the whole system. It's water. You know, it's the oceans. Is 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 the you know is 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 the soil. Is is everything. You know, for the first time now in Europe, we start talking about a food crisis. No, so is a is a big thing. So is is a is a, a perfect storm, and deep adaptation is basically a a framework or a community of people who each of us uh, coming from different places. I used to be a commission official. I worked in the European Commission for thirty three years. So I'm I'm not I'm not an activist. You know, I'm I'm a normal citizen, simply informed. I'm a lawyer by training, so I'm an, I'm not a scientist. You know, and I I already. 12 years ago, I started reading about these things and I got very interested saying, listen, I mean, is this sustainable? I mean, can we go on like this, you know? And, and Deep Adaptation, which was created by, by a paper written by a professor, Jen Bendel, in, in, in 2018, basically is an invitation to explore or contemplate this possibility, which for some of us is more than a possibility, it's a probability, the possibility that our, our system is not sustainable. And therefore, at one point, it will collapse, or or there will be growing number of disruptions. And the idea is to explore, okay, what if this is a possibility, you know? And it's out of the. In my case, uh, I used to be a senior manager in the European Commission, and and we we stress quite a lot the need for a precautionary principle for risk management. You know, come on. I mean, if there is something major that may happen, you you need to look into that. You need to look into that. How probable is it? What big is the impact and what can you do about it, you know? And, and, and you can explore the material, the practical issues about that, you know, for instance, food crisis. Okay, let's, let's make sure that we have some, some cereals in some place. But also, and probably more importantly, and sorry for the long answer, and I'll give you back the floor now, is exploring the emotional or, or even the psychological impact that these things can have. I happen also to, to be exploring mortality over the last couple of years. You know, I've, I've been training as a death doula, you know, and, and, and reading a lot of uh, mortality and death. You know, I'm also volunteering uh, in hospitals with uh, cancer patients. 
And you will agree with me, Anthony, that death is a predicament. I mean, there is no solution. You know, as far as I know, people tend to die. And therefore, death is not something that you, you can solve. Death is something that you have to deal with, you know. And, 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 and you know, when, when people tell that uh, we, uh, people in, in, in deep adaptation, are pessimists or whatever, I always make the parallel with death. You know, what is the optimist approach about death? You know, probably the optimist approach about death is having a good life and having a good death. The optimism is not avoiding death, you know. Uh, so, so you know, what the best you can do is, is do it the best you can do so that you have a good life until the moment you die and have a good death. You know, that's, 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 that's the, the optimist approach to, to death. I tend to apply the same thing to what I believe is going to happen in the and it's happening already in some places of the world. Look at Venezuela, look at other countries which are in full collapse, you know, full collapse in the sense that, you know, the, the infrastructures and, 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 you know, the access to food, uh, safety, uh, shelter, et cetera, et cetera, is no longer assured by, by, by a legal framework. So I tend to think that if this is possible, what is the optimist approach to that is probably not believing too much that we can avoid it, but to see, okay, how can we live as best as possible until then? How can we accompany this? And of course, how can we save as much as possible? You know, most people in deep adaptation like me, we are massively and deeply involved in, in, in activity. You know, I'm, I'm part of the transition towns, you know, I'm, I'm volunteering, I'm, I'm, I'm doing all sorts of work and all people in deep adaptation, we are not crying in a corner, you know, and, and say, oh my goodness. No, I mean, there is a lot of activism. Sorry, it was long. <laughs> so you're painting a picture of a disaster which is much more widespread than simply the climate emergency. And are you saying that you see this as inevitable, something that we cannot stop, but we must adapt to? And this is my personal belief. I'm not, I'm not a scientist, I insist. I might be wrong. I hope I'm wrong, Anthony. I hope I have children, you know, and, and you know, I'm here in my parents' house because I cannot have this conversation in my house where my daughter, who is 20, is studying, you know, because she, she, she goes crazy, you know, when, I, when she hears me talking about this. Why do I believe that this is, what, what I believe is that we cannot continue the way we are, we are going. We cannot continue growing. I mean, this, there is no possibility. I mean, resources are limited. We cannot continue going like that. And therefore, you know, uh, and, and we keep continuing like this. You know, if you see the emissions of CO2 have not stopped. You know, we've been discussing this since the 90s and keep growing. And we had Paris, they keep growing, you know. So that nothing has stopped, you know. So that's the first thing, you know, I, I don't see, I, I mean, already stabilizing it and we have to start descending. And the longer we wait, the steeper the descent is. If, had we, had we started the descent in 72, when the, when the, when the report, the limits to growth uh, was, was published, probably it could have been quite a mild descent, you know, slowly and gradually, you know. Now we are coming to a point where, where the descent looks, looks very vertical, you know, and who is preparing for that. So that's, that's the first thing. The second thing is, unfortunately, uh, the way uh, our, our political system works, I don't see any politician in this world who would come with a project, with a program, okay, less descent, less go smaller, make America small again. 
<laughs> you remember, who would be voted with that? You know, let's reduce consumption. Let's, uh, let's warm our apartments to 17 degrees rather than 21. Let's uh, fly less. Let's eat less meat. You know, who would be voted with that? No one. You know, now with the crisis in Ukraine, they are against subsidizing fossil fuels, you know. So that, that doesn't make me particularly optimistic that we will have bold, courageous politicians who will really come with a program where we can organize the dissent. But isn't the problem that if they stand up now and say, reduce, 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 as you say, nobody will vote for them. But isn't the problem the fact that the actual facts of what the situation is um, have not been explained to the population at large? There hasn't been a national debate. And if people don't understand how serious the situation is, if we get to a point where suddenly very stringent restrictions are placed on people, they are going to react. Agreed. Agreed. You saw what happened in France with Macron and the Gilets Jaunes eh, when, oh, yeah. when he introduced this tax. No, and of course, but, you know, first, people have already enough bad news, you know. Mm. <laughs> uh, that, that's the first thing, you know. And second, these are complex matters. You know, I, I, I spent quite a lot of time, hours, reading articles and reports you know and some of these topics are not easy you know some of these topics you know everything to do you know i mean this is the most complex things you know is, is systems thinking you know most people you know you try to explain things like you know the, the greenhouse effect you know and, and how how co2 or methane you know so first of that, that that's the the, the 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 second point you know and thirdly denial denial you know you know, I was I was part of, of an elite in the European Commission, you know, very highly educated people there. You know, I mean, you, you don't you don't get a job in the European Commission without massive diplomas, you know, and people well educated, people speaking many languages, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. And around me, the level of awareness or information about these things were was astonishingly low, you know, and I was wondering, you know, if you read in the in the Guardian, you know, an article saying, you know, that the, the surface of the Arctic has shrunk by 30%, you know, and that, you know, this can have massive, massive positive uh, uh, feedback loop effects, you know, I, I read into that. Uh, you know, and, and I, I, I realize that around me, I, I, my friends are all educated, you know, most people don't go beyond the headline. Why? I don't know. Same thing happens with death, uh, Anthony. You know, I, I, I organize death cafes. Nobody wants to talk about death. Mm. Nobody wants. I, I was yesterday in the, in the hospital in the chemo unit talking to people who were getting the, the treatment, you know. Uh, they were amazingly courageous and amazingly humane, you know, and they were saying that nobody wants to, you know, when they say I have cancer, <laughs> people change conversation, you know, so nobody wants to confront this and something similar happens with, with this predicament. Yes, you talk about people at the top of the European Commission and obviously other similar organisations adopting the precautionary principle. And yet, as far as this is concerned, nobody does seem to be adopting the precautionary principle. They seem to be saying business as usual. We look at uh, the situation where we've decided that we can't actually run our cars and our transport fleet on fossil fuels. So we'll run them on electricity. But of course, 
that is fraught with problems. That's a business as usual solution. The solution is probably not cars at all. But in the short term, governments will say that's what we're going to do. Um, and the same applies with home heating. They're saying, well, we're going to get rid of gas boilers and we're going to give you heat pumps. And that only works, of course, if uh, the electricity which runs them is not generated by gas or other fossil fuels. Or coal. Or coal. Well, uh, yeah, <laughs> coal is still very significant on a global scale. It, it? is. So the, the, the inescapable conclusion is that the political leadership has not got the courage or the foresight to actually take the actions which are necessary, um, probably in the knowledge that the worst consequences won't actually occur until they have retired or left office. So that means, well, what sort of future do you see? Uh, are you one of these people who are stocking up with tinned food and things like that so that you at least will survive? Or is your philosophy or belief different from that? Absolutely. It's, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I confess that when I came to this realization, and that was in 2009, I read this article in the New York Times, The End is Near. And it's still there. You can Google it. And in fact, the article, the, the title was much more alarming than the content. The content was an interview with um, Rob Hopkins, the, the founder of uh, Transition Towns, you know, and it was it was an explanation of the of the concept, which was starting at the time. I think Transition Towns started in Totnes in 2000 in, in Devon in 2005, something like that. And it was an explanation why why this concept of and, and, and this is part of my answer, you know, I, the, the idea of transition towns and I've been in the Spanish hub and now I'm part of a of a transition initiative here in Spain is to make sure that we have local communities which are as resilient as possible and whose uh, uh, environmental impact is as low as possible. So the, the two principles of transition towns is local is communities is reducing the impacts and is increasing the resilience increasing the resilience in many ways you know very simple ways you know you transform a parking lot into into a vegetable garden you know you plant fruit trees you know i've been planting fruit trees in a, in a plot that i have you know you you reskill people you recycle you know so this is the idea the idea is that you know probably we'll have to go more rural i'm, I'm following very closely what is happening in france uh and in France, there is this, this neo-ruralism movement, you know, many people from, from the cities going back to, to the countryside. And of course, very ill-equipped because, I mean, frankly, I can do PowerPoint a little less when I, you know, I, I just bought a piece of land and, you know, I'm, I'm, I got a few manuals, you know, how, how you grow vegetables, you know, how you plant a tree, etc. So, so the idea is, is not only to save yourself. I'm, I'm talking, there are two aspects, the material aspect. The only way is communities. The only way is communities where people together can find solutions, you know, and combining the different skills, you know, and, and some people are good at building, you know, I have friends here in, in northern Spain who are very good in, in bio, bio construction, you know, constructing with uh, with cob, other people edible gardens, uh, etc, etc. So it's communities where there is only not only sharing skills is also support. And that is one aspect of the thing. But probably again, the other aspect, which is probably more important, at least for me, or, or at least should come first, is the inner work that you have to do, you know, which is, okay, let's, let's see, first of all, you know, what the contemplation of this predicament makes into you, you know, what, 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 what kind of impact you have. And of course, 
the emotions that you confront when you uh, look straight into this is fear, of course, is anger, is sadness, is helplessness. And I happen to be a facilitator. I don't know whether you're familiar with this practice, which is the work that reconnects. Maybe you heard about that. And, and if not, I, I, I fully recommend that you look into this. The work that reconnects is a is a is a sort of a training. It's, it's more of a retreat, which was designed already in the uh, 80s by Joanna Macy. You heard of Joanna Macy? Is is an American activist. Uh, a professor, scholar in systems thinking, and a Buddhist as well. And she was extremely involved. She's now 93 or something. Like that. She's an amazing woman. You, you can look up her, her videos, you know. And she noticed in the 80s that there were many activists going in burnout, you know, because the task is so huge, you know, that many people were simply, you know, dropping, dropping their efforts, you know. And, and she designed this, this uh, workshop, which I call the Word That Reconnects, in order to help people uh, look, have a, have a space, a safe space where you discuss with other people these difficult emotions, you know, you give people new insights or new perspectives, you know, based on deep ecology, etc, etc, and you reboost them for them to continue uh, acting, you know, because what nobody wants is passivity, you know, what nobody wants, you know, and I'm also involved in that, you know, I'm organizing these kind of workshops, they normally last for four days, you know, and, and, and you work with that, and what you're doing is this inner work, you know, helping people look into these emotions and very quickly it takes you to to more philosophical kind of questions you know who are we you know why why has this happened you know why are we so intelligent and and at the same time so silly not to believe not to understand that there has to be limits <laughs> to what we do you know i mean you know in ecosystems you know that probably better than me you know there are two equations you know is how much how, how many resources you extract, how much pollution you, you throw into that, and the capacity of the systems to regenerate, you know? And, and, and this is a whole concept of overshoot, which was already discussed by William Catron in 1980. 1980, this fantastic book by, by, by Catron, Overshoot. So when you're extracting more than, than can be renewed, there comes a point where there is a collapse. You know, so it's, it's either descent or fall, you know, it's, it's only that, you know, I'm, I'm talking out of logic. I'm not a scientist, I insist, I'm, and I might be wrong, and I hope I'm wrong. Well, let's just uh, step back a little bit. You talk about um, uh, people coming together and using the land and things like that. But as far as I understand it, over 50 percent of the world's population now live in, in cities and towns. Now, we can't relocate those all out into the countryside. So can you adapt this as well within the urban environment? I think it's going to be extremely difficult, frankly, frankly, I, you know, and, and that's, that's what makes me believe that probably, probably uh, will go for a collapse, you know, probably will go into panic, you know, you, you see what happens when, when, when a supermarket goes empty, you know, when, when, when there is no, no petrol in the in the in the petrol stations you know you, you see what happens you know and 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 what you're talking is a massive and i think it's more than 50 percent in cities i think it's more than 50 percent if i uh, probably in europe is is, is closer to 70 percent you know and 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 the skills we've all lost those skills you know we don't know you know how, how to live in the countryside that's that's part of my my concern you know 
uh, how you organize that. And again, I'm, I'm more familiar with what, what is happening in France. You know, I've been following a, a few webinars and, and in France, and I see that the local authorities in, in the UK pro probably as well, the local authorities are more uh, interested in creating the concept of bioregions, you know, trying to reorganize the territory in terms of bioregions and trying to see, okay, what would happen, you know, what would happen with transport, you know, because electricity, electricity, you know, you, lorries wrong <laughs> electricity doesn't work too much, you know, probably the weights of the batteries <laughs> would make it, so it's trains, etc. Et so I think it's going to be extremely difficult to, to, to repatriate into the countryside uh, all those populations. And thus, uh, probably we are headed to dramatic situations. You know, um, I was reading recently a, a difficult book, Choosing Earth, uh, which, which maybe you know about by uh, Dwayne Elgin. Dwayne Elgin was an advisor uh, of the White House. He's, he must be 80 now. A, a fantastic book. You can, you can download it on PDF. Of course, if you buy it, it, he will be happy. But you can download it on his site. And, and he comes with three scenarios for the future. He, he was an expert in futures, you know. And he says, okay, I see three scenarios and in, in the coming decades. And this is what is very worrying because this guy is a serious guy. You know, I mean, he's, he's not, but McPherson, I don't know. You know, I, I watch McPherson from time to time and I, I cannot judge whether whether he, he's exaggerated. But this guy looks like a sensible guy. And he says three scenarios. First scenario is in the twenties, in this decade, growing breakdowns which, as we are seeing now, with uh, semiconductors, you know, breakdowns in gas, breakdowns, you know, the, the chains start falling, you know, and suddenly you don't have uh, uh, oil or suddenly you don't have uh, chickpeas or whatever, you know, suddenly things start operating properly. The next decade is probably collapse, uh, as, as, uh, as many people have studied in the, in the, in the, uh, in the Soviet Union. For instance, financial collapse, then social collapse, political collapse, you know. And then in the 40s, massive dying. This is what he sees. And then he sees, okay, there are three, and, and that is no matter what. Uh, you, you will look, it's, it's quite quite compelling. Frankly, frankly, you need to you need to fasten your your seatbelts before reading that book, you know. And then, and then he says, okay, I see three possibilities. The first one, which I think is over-exaggerated, is human extinction in the 40s. The second one is also very worrying, which is authoritarian regimes, eco-fascism. Okay, there is very little, so let's organize it. Uh, you know, and, and of course, there are experiments in China going on already for the last decades, you know, on social control, you know, you know, you know this is amazing, you know, I've been reading that in China, they, they know how many stops you have not respected in, in, with your car, they know what you're posting, you know, and on that basis, you go to a job uh, interview and they say, no, so it's, it's amazing, you know, and with the digital control, you know, so that's the second scenario. So we'll manage to survive because the, the state will grab control of the few resources and rationing, et cetera, et cetera. And the third one, which is the one I work for and, and, and my friends in deep adaptation work for and, and transition is okay, after this dark night, we have an opportunity to create a new kind of humanity, much more respectful of nature, much more in sync with the limits of the planet. So there is this third scenario, which is the one that, that, that we have to work for.
and, and, but the other two are, are very compelling. So if you go for the book, be careful because it's quite, quite heavy stuff. Well, there's some quite, I would say, disturbing and certainly thought-provoking ideas that you shared with us there. On balance, are you optimistic? I go back to what I was telling you about optimism and pessimism in the face of death. Uh, I am a cheerful person. Uh, I am also because I'm, you know, I have a good life, you know, and, 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 uh, and this exploration has given me the opportunity to deepen into many emotional, psychological, even spiritual. I think spiritual maybe is a big word for this, for this podcast, you know, spiritual in the sense, okay, part of when you start digging, why are we where we are? The, the key word is separation, is, is the disconnect is, is the belief that we are in nature rather than that we are nature. You know, if you think about it, Anthony, I mean, it's, it's not that there is a planet and you're planted there coming from I don't know where. We came out of the planet. You know, <laughs> we came out of the, we are like a branch of, of this tree. So we are, we are the planet, you know. And when you start looking into that kind of thing, that's spirituality. Spirituality is that we belong to something much bigger than ourselves, you know. And, and this is what makes me not optimistic, but but at least makes me, I, I have a bigger view of what a human life is in these times, you know, and probably a sense of duty and responsibility to be the best version of myself, to be of help, you know, uh, be of help uh, with the cancer patients, be of help, you know, I'm planting trees here with the with the local green groups, you know, I'm, 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 I'm helping out all over the place, you know, I'm trying to... I'm trying to do what what deep adaptation is about. You know, I don't know what you know the mission. I, I read you the mission of deep adaptation. The mission is to embody and enable loving responses to our predicament so that we reduce suffering while saving more of society and the natural world. So saving society in the sense of creating networks, communities, you know, creating Islands of Sanity, as, as authors like Carolyn Baker, you, you might know her, uh, Islands of Sanity, you know, we are headed towards a lot of insanity, you know, and creating areas where people feel a bit safer, saving as much as the natural world as possible. When a species goes, it's gone. When, it's, when the last tiger goes, it's gone, you know. And therefore, saving as much as possible, but also developing or growing inside ourselves the capacity for loving responses, kindness, compassion. This is what we do. I, I, I would like to invite you to one of our events, you know, where we discuss our emotions, you know, and it's the kindest place in the world, you know, is the kind. I mean, the people I, I've met over Zoom, unfortunately, and why I had a I had a retreat with Jim Bendel and Katie Carr uh, before the pandemic, you know, but in general, I, I interact with people on Zoom. And it's the kindest, less aggressive place you can find, you know, because it's all people who have already confronted these truths, you know, and trying to, to see how, how you cope with this and how you create around you the, the nicest, more compassionate way to, to, to live with this without depressing people around. But that's, that's, that's the challenge, you know, how you talk about this without without and, and, I'm, and i'm sorry if i created in, in you some disturbance you know when, when i was mentioning the work of uh, Dwayne elgin you know how how do you share this point of view without creating suffering in other people you know it's, it's, it's very difficult but is it 
is denial better? I don't know. Well, this is this is the problem of denial, and I've done quite a lot of research into into denial. Uh, people wed themselves to their beliefs to the extent that they will hold on to them even in the face of contrary facts. You mentioned that your daughter is, uh, I would say, in denial from what you said. Uh, It is so difficult, isn't it, to to deal with people, even people very close. It is. And and get the message across. I have a son who is uh, 26, who was trained as an engineer in Edinburgh University, and he's a chemical engineer. And, and he's, he's adventurous, strong, you know, and my convert, he is very much into this, you know, and, and, and I can speak very frankly with him. And, and I bought this piece of land and he's, he's very motivated to grow in trees there, you know, so no problem, you know, and, and he fully, he's, he's an expert in methane, you know, he gets these things, you know, he gets these things, you know, and, 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 and it's easier. My daughter, she's studying biomedical sciences and, you know, she's, she, she's much more sensitive, you know, and every time I've talked about this, you know, of course, for for this generation, you know, it's very difficult to understand that, you know, you're killing, she's studying like crazy. And I'm wondering what high tech laboratories will there be 20 years from now doing the kind of research that she's preparing for? And, and with my son, for instance, with Miguel, I'm, I'm, I'm working much more into directing him into low tech. And, and again, in France, there is a whole movement on low tech, you know, because low tech is amazing. You know, you can you can have quite a good level of comfort with sustainable, reliable, solid systems, you know, for anything, you know. So uh, that's 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 a very difficult conversation. And and, and indeed, with my daughter is little by little. But I, I, I frankly don't know how to tackle that, you know, and frankly, don't know. And I've lost many friends. I've lost many friends. Many friends in the sustainable movement, you know, I, I sent to you uh, a podcast that was done by a friend of mine, uh, which is called uh, is, sustainable, is Sustainability uh, Realistic, a very good friend of mine, uh, where, I, where I share these things, maybe, maybe you're interested in that one, it's a 40-minute podcast, where I, I basically go a, a bit more in detail, and I think I, I lost my, my friend because of this kind of conversation, and also because I, I tended to be a bit self-righteous, you know, I, I was insisting on being right at that time. I'm, I'm no longer, you know, I, I, I hope you people who believe that we can make it your right, I really hope, you know, but just in case I'm preparing emotionally, spiritually, and also materially with building a small community for, for the storm that I, I, I see more and more coming. I think we could continue this conversation for hours. I really do. You've raised an awful lot of questions, an awful lot of points, an awful lot of things which we need to think about to absorb and understand. But I'd like to thank you very much, Nando, for sharing these thoughts with the Sustainable Futures Report. Mm. And, well, we are going to have to see how things develop, sadly. Um, Mm. But to do what we can... To protect ourselves and maybe do what we can to prevent things from getting as bad as they might be but thank you again for for talking to us can i say a last thing because this this is difficult to to hear and uh, in deep adaptation we have a group of guides and i'm i'm one of them you know people who are ready to listen to people who uh, when they learn these things go into suffering so if one of your listeners 
wants to have a conversation with me about this or with any one of the guys, please give them my, my details and I can have a, a soothing conversation with them and, and help them navigate these things. You know, but I, 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 I hope it was, it was well. Well, thank you very much for that. That's very much appreciated. Fernando Garcia Ferrero from the Deep Adaptation Forum. And as we mentioned, you'll find a link to him and other Deep Adaptation guides below. There are links too to the other articles and organisations that he mentioned. Thank you for listening to this Wednesday interview from the Sustainable Futures Report. There'll be another next Wednesday and I'll restart the regular Friday episodes from Friday the 6th of May. I always welcome feedback and ideas for episodes, especially from patrons. Please get in touch via the website, via Patreon or even via mail at anthony-day.com And if you can become a patron, you'd be most welcome. Your support keeps the Sustainable Futures Report independent and ad-free. One day I might have enough supporters to keep it solvent as well. That's it for this week. That was the Wednesday interview from the Sustainable Futures Report. I'm Anthony Day. Until next time.